Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. Welcome, welcome, welcome to season two of the Running Explained podcast. I am so excited to be back with you for another year of awesome content. That is, yes, how I'm doing my seasons by year, in case you were wondering what the, how, why is this season two? What changed? Well, new year, new season. Why not? We're just all making it up as we go along. At least I am when it comes to this show. But my guests are not making it up, and that is what we are here to do, is learn from the experts. And today, my guest is Kirsten Screen, who is a registered dietitian, a sports dietitian. She's been in the field for over 20 years. You might know her on Instagram as at your fitness dietitian, which I think is an awesome handle. And today we're talking about hormone health, your hormones. It's not just a weird buzzword that maybe your aunt sent you a link that may or may not have been spammed to, like hormone health actually matters. Really, really important for not just your performance, your PRs, your training, but for your development and overall health as a human. So today we're going to dive deepish. I guess we're going to do a bit of an overview, a 101, hit what hormones are, the major players, why you should care, and what you can do to support your hormone health and just be a, a better, happier runner and person. Kirsten, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm super stoked to finally get to talk with you, period, but to also have this bigger conversation. I'm glad to be here. And I, I'm really excited about our topic today. Uh, and before we get started and dive down, hopefully a rabbit hole that's not too deep on hormones, uh, tell us about yourself. Tell us about your background and how did you become a dietitian? I actually, I love that you asked me that question because I became a dietitian because I was a runner. So this is very suitable for this conversation today. I was a high school track runner. And I am just a smidge older than you are, so I'm going to age myself for a second. It was pre-Google. <laughs> this becomes relevant. I was a high school runner, and I had a coach who I think was well-intentioned, but his goals were very misplaced. And the conversation basically went, you're all fat. All of you are too slow. I need you all to stop eating this, 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 and this, and then we will be great as a team. So, you know, we were a 14, 15-year-old, very malleable young minds and also menstruating young women. Uh, and we went down, speaking of rabbit holes, we went down a rabbit hole and uh, everybody got injured and everybody was mean and ugly all the time to each other because we were all just miserable. We were starved. And I find it takes people one of two directions. It either takes people down a very dark tunnel that takes years to climb out of, or, and thankfully I went the other route, it takes people to a place where they go, wait a minute, this makes no sense. I feel really terrible and this can't be right. At the same time, my parents were kind of doing some weird, you know, this was in the 90s. So my parents were doing like Jenny Craig and some other weird things. Be like, we have to lose some weight. And I was surrounded by all of this talk of, we will be better when we're smaller. We will be better when we're smaller. And it just didn't translate that way for me when I was going through that process. So I went to the library, old school, because again, pre-Google, went to the physical library with the physical card catalog, which the rest of you don't even know how to use, the Dewey Decimal System. It is brilliant, whilst confusing. Anyhow, had to find a book to address what was going on. And I stumbled across this book 
and I've told the story so many times, but I stumbled across this book from a sports dietitian, Nancy Clark, who, if you live in my world, is sort of the guru of sports nutrition because she was kind of the pioneer of bringing that to day-to-day you know, knowledge. And I found her physical book and I started reading this book. I had no idea what a dietitian was. Like, what was the purpose of a dietitian? Who is this person? But everything she wrote made so much sense. And I had originally planned on becoming a doctor. That was always my path. But when I got to college, I took an introductory nutrition class after having been exposed through this book. And it changed the entire trajectory of my life. And I just, you know, I thank this running coach for causing me temporary misery, me and many other people. Hopefully he is no longer, (laughs) no longer employed in this realm. I'm guessing he's probably retired at this point, but it drove me down this path to figure out how do I support my running without sacrificing my health, my well-being, my joy, my life, my everything. And that's where it started. And the rest has sort of been history. I've just shaped, you know, my career according to that kickstart. I had another conversation with a dietitian on a previous episode about state sanctioned underfueling was what I termed it basically like the authority figure mm-hmm. intentionally or underintentionally tells their young athletes. It's always young athletes, developing athletes, high school, college age, that they should be eating less or eating specific kinds of food. Mm-hmm. And that is a, I mean, it's my podcast, so I can swear. That's a really fucked up way of looking at Uh, First of all, telling a developing person to eat less of anything Mm -hmm. and and telling any athlete that they shouldn't be eating something because they should be thinner than they are. Those two concepts, when you step back and think, oh my God, how is this? It's not okay. It's so not okay. I love that you just said that. I also love that you just cussed because that gives me permission to do so. It is the most fucked up way to encourage anybody to do anything, period. But like you just said, these are young developing people. You know, we we all just got our periods. We have a limited window in which to develop bone mass and reach our height potential and make sure things are copacetic and going the way they should. And it's like you said, it's it's state sanctioned. These are the leaders and mentors in charge, right? And they're trainers and nothing against trainers, nothing against coaches, but they have zero knowledge nor do they have legal authority to give any kind of advice on nutrition. Legally, the only, the only professional qualified to give individualized nutrition support is a registered dietitian. Allowed doctors, yes, legally qualified, questionable, that's another conversation. Dietitians are the only ones that should be having this conversation, but it's just not well known. I think we're, we're starting to kind of turn the corner on people know who dietitians are and what we do, but you're right, the, the automatic default is the coach, the trainer, you know, the teacher, the whoever the mentor is, and everyone thinks because they eat, they have authority and knowledge to share on the subject. No, no, shush, leave it to those who understand the repercussions because the repercussions reach deep. And that's, that's where we're going today. And this whole, people are listening going, I thought this was a conversation about hormones. What are they talking about underfueling in high school athletes for? Because it's related. Let's bring it back to the basics. What is a hormone? What is a hormone? Great question. So hormones essentially are messengers in your body, right? Hormones are part of the very intricate, very complex system that tells your body systems what to do and what's going on, not just what to do, but what's going on. The hormones are feedback for your organ system. Um, they, they require cholesterol. They require fat to function properly, which is a part of this conversation. The lower our body fat goes, the harder it is for our hormones to function properly. There is a threshold at which that no longer occurs properly. Um, but hormones are vital. They're just, you know, we think of messengers and we think of our, our neurological system. And yes, obviously our brain, our neurons, they are messengers, but your hormones are messengers and your hormones are sort of the, 
the orchestrators, like think of your, an orchestra, great analogy, think of an orchestra and you have the conductor in the orchestra that's gonna tell every section what to do. Your hormones do that. So when we start messing with hormones, we start messing with the entire symphony and we don't notice it at first because it's just a little bit here and a little bit there. And then we get used to these changes and we're like, oh, the melody's changed, but it's okay. I'm running with the analogy, by the way. The melody has changed and it's okay. But all of a sudden we're playing a whole different song that is not the song that our body's supposed to be playing. And at that point, okay, it's a little late because now we have a hole that we got to climb out of because we have willfully and effectively changed the hormone messaging. So they're vital. They're vital to everything we do. I think when people hear hormones, they think estrogen, right? Everybody mm -hmm. knows estrogen's a hormone. Um, but there are, I mean, and you know, hundreds of hormones? Probably hundreds. I actually don't know the actual number, but I know from a nutrition and running perspective, they all matter. But the ones, like you said, especially because we think hormones, we think sex hormones. I think that's the first one that comes to mind with people. We think estrogen, maybe they start thinking progesterone, although I think that's below surface level for most people already. Most people probably don't go that far. You know, if we're on the female hormones, luteinizing hormone, all these other hormones that have daily functions that nobody thinks about until they need them. But it goes way beyond that, beyond the estrogens and the testosterones. We're talking insulin. Insulin's a hormone. Everybody thinks of insulin in regards to nutrition, right? Insulin is a hormone. Your thyroid hormone orchestrates the entire business. It's the driver of your metabolism. Every messenger in your body is dependent on a hormone. Cortisol, I know you and I previously talked about this, and we're going to dig into cortisol a lot today. Everything that happens in your body in a reactionary or even a precursor to a action you know, system is hormone dependent. Hundreds, thousands, I don't know the actual answer to that. That's a Dr. Google question. But the point is they're plentiful and we need to pay attention. And we usually don't until we need them and realize they don't work right. Are there any, oh, this might be a sign that hormones are screwy when it comes to athletes? Yes. How long do we have? <laughs> how long is this episode? Um, really, the signs are plentiful and could be anything. And I think that's the hard thing with hormones. And I'll give some examples in just a second. But I think the hard thing is almost all of them individually, we can explain away, right? So we tell ourselves, oh, I'm just tired today oh, I was stressed this month, so my period's late or whatever. So we explain them away because we also tend to think of our body in silos instead of understanding it as one intricate organism that is constantly doing this perfect orchestra. We think of individual things. So then we explain away that individual thing. And the other thing that we're also noticing is unrelated in our mind, right? But it isn't. So signs and symptoms that I see a lot with athletes, chronic fatigue, that's a big one. Mid-afternoon slump, that's a big one. Anything that's happening with hair, skin, nails, you know, when folks are like, oh, I'm getting old, my hair's shedding. But why? Like, these are not normal things. Like, yes, as we age, our hair is going to thin. That's normal. But if you're starting to notice these things, A, earlier than you should, or B, more frequently than you should, or to a larger degree than you should, these are symptoms. Acne can be a symptom. Um, you know, like anything can be a symptom. Constant bitchiness can be a symptom. It's not just your personality. There's probably something out of whack, right? Chronic hunger, eating and still never feeling like you're fully fueled, having permanent issues with increasing speed. We're talking about runners, right? Increasing endurance or increasing speed, no matter what you do. You're doing all the training plans. You're following all of Elizabeth's programs, but nothing is getting better. Why? something's wrong. And we can probably tie it back to hormones. Even if the hormone isn't the original cause, the hormone has been affected, whatever hormone is responsible for that. So the list of symptoms is plentiful. And sometimes it's not even 
like we'll notice a symptom and the hormone that's directly responsible for the symptom is not even the one that was originally affected. It was three other hormones that were affected that are connected to this hormone. And now we have this cascade. And that's usually what I see in athletes. It's not isolated. It's usually a cascade of things that are just really screwed up. Now, as a dietitian, when you have an athlete come to you and you're you're mm-hmm. doing an intake and you're listening mm-hmm. to their history and you're thinking like there's clearly some hormonal issues here, what are what are the most common causes that you see? Great question. Uh, and first of all, just to clarify what within the scope of dietetics, right? Because this is so important for us as dietitians that everyone else kind of stays out of our lane. <laughs> also very important to understand where our lane ends. So the space where we function is we toggle nutrition, we toggle lifestyle, we toggle supplementation. And I want to give a quick side note on supplementation before I answer your question. Supplementation only as needed and only when we identify gaps and only temporary. Supplementation for us is not a take this all. No. Supplementation means we have identified a gap and there's urgent need to fill this gap and just doing it with food will not get us to that place fast enough. So we supplement or sometimes because we have to deal with some hormonal stuff, we have to supplement that gap, right? So the common thread that I see though, when folks come to me, it's one of two things. It's either chronic underfueling in general, whether intentional or accidentally, you'd be surprised how many runners in particular do not have any concept of the energy requirement for their sport. Um, you know, I mean, I have- I'm not surprised at all. I mean, that doesn't surprise me. It might surprise some listeners, but I yeah. see it every day. And I, that's where my lane ends as well. But I agree with you. My goodness, most runners are not eating enough, period. Most runners don't have a clue that we're talking thousands, right? Thousands of calories. And, you know, I'll get runners coming to me while I'm constantly exhausted on my marathon training. And then we do an intake and they're eating 1500 calories a day. I'd be exhausted doing nothing if I only ate 1500 calories a day, let alone running on top of that. So that's the first one. But the second one, and this is super important, especially for the females, is just chronic carbohydrate restriction. And that again can be intentional or not. Obviously there's so much noise in our world about carbohydrates are the devil. Carbohydrates, I honestly think are the most glorious thing on thing on the earth and the best thing that we have ever learned to grow and cultivate. They drive so much of what we do. Every piece of our activity is driven by carbohydrates, whether activity is me sitting here, you know, gesticulating wildly with my hands or you out there running a six minute mile, it doesn't matter, it's carbohydrates. So the common thread is we're either chronically undernourishing from a total calorie perspective or specifically not getting enough carbohydrates. The side note on that total calories is, and the carbohydrates, it then, it then sort of flows over into lack of micronutrients and that nobody pays attention to micronutrients. We do, the dietitians do, because that to us is like, that's your bread and butter, right? We pay attention to that, but folks don't focus there. Folks focus on calories and macronutrients and that's where we live. I call it the iceberg problem. And you tell me whether you want want me to elaborate on that or not. But when I talk to, when I'm on presentations or I talk to clients about it, it's the iceberg problem because we address it top down. We're addressing our entire need from the wrong angle with a focus only on calories and macronutrients. And we don't pay attention to everything that's under the surface, which is your hormones, your micronutrients, your stress response, your sleep patterns, your hydration, your electrolyte and mineral support. It's all these other things that are affected because we're only focusing at the top. And I'll just chime in and anecdotally, and you know, the plural of anecdote is not data, but my personal experience for the first couple of years that I ran, I, I ran as a keto athlete. Oh, I was a low carb. We ran everything fasted. I was eating the recommended number of calories, but I was eating extraordinarily low carbohydrates. And after about two and a half, three years, I ended up with hormone issues or my doctor, we did some tests 
otherwise completely healthy and I had nothing else in my life to explain that there was there were these problems, you know, we talked about diet and they said, you know, tell me about your diet. And I was like, well, I don't eat carbs. And they said, what do you mean? <laughs> because with so many things in our body, and this is where I'm going with this, is that almost nothing happens overnight. It can take weeks, months, or years. You have to go back and say, oh yeah, I guess doing this for three years sent me on this slow decline. It just took a while to get to the place where it was a problem. And I will say that specifically when folks to come to, come to us, I always tell them your hormones took the longest to show up as a problem. Other things show up as problems quicker, right? Like I'm exhausted, that might show up, or I'm having trouble recovering from my run. Yeah, you just don't have enough glycogen to do what you were doing. So that will show up pretty quickly, right? Or you're not hydrated. That There's an immediate response to that. Hormonal changes, your body's really good at protecting your hormones. It wants to not mess with your hormones. Your hormones drive everything, so it doesn't want to mess with them. It's really good at sustaining that as long as it possibly can. But once it can, it kind of bottoms out. Like you you have reached the bottom of the underfueling curve. Congratulations, you get a gold star. We have arrived, right? And it sucks, but then once you're there, the, the really hard part for most of my folks to kind of grapple with is that it's also gonna take the longest to fix. So we will do a lot of nutrition intervention, a lot of support, and nothing happens for a while, they think, right? Because we can't tell on the outside yet. Inside, your system's finally taking a deep breath and going, holy crap, I can actually do better now. It's just gonna take a really long time to kind of see that. And I don't know how you tell us how long it took, you know, after you kind of came out of that keto world, but it takes a while and it's frustrating for folks. And it's also why we end up so far in the rabbit hole because we don't notice it while it's happening. Exactly. We don't notice it while it's happening. It's one of those boiling a frog things, right? Mm -hmm. You can boil a frog alive as long as the temperature only increases very, very slowly. And then all of a sudden the frog is dead. And you think, how did this happen? It's been happening this whole mm -hmm. time. <laughs> you just yep. didn't notice. And actually, yeah, for me, it took about, I'd say six to nine months. There were some other things too. I had, I was anemic. Uh, that's actually, we discovered the, the hormone issues because I was like, I'm exhausted all the time. You know, do an iron panel. I had low iron. Despite the fact that I was taking an iron supplement at the time, I still had low iron. Can I talk about that iron real quick? Cause that happens yes. so much. And obviously endurance runners, right? Like iron foot strike hemolysis, we're breaking down those red blood cells every single time our foot hits that ground. We're females, we bleed once a month, right? Like it's just, we have a higher need. My biggest frustration with iron panels is you're going to get a cutoff from your doctor that says, if you're above 15 or 20, you are okay. You will feel like hot garbage at 15 or 20. You don't have to get to 14 before you feel like garbage. I want my runners at 50, 60, 70 for a ferritin value. Really hard to get to. And like you just said, sometimes we get to the place where it's like, I'm supplementing with all this iron. Why isn't it coming up? It's because your root cause is not the iron. Your root cause is micronutrient absorption in your gut. And we're off in our vitamin A, which is a fat soluble vitamin. If your fat is low, your fat intake is low, your hormones are deregulated. Do you see how it's all connected? Your copper is off. Things are off and the nutrients you need in order to transport iron to where it's measurable and you can use it are simply insufficient because your diet's lacking. Because in the process of eating that low carbohydrate under fuel diet, you will have effectively killed off your gut microbiome that is there to absorb, digest, use these nutrients. And what you eventually see as your symptom is I'm tired, I have low iron. Low iron is not where the problem started. Low iron is like the side effect of the side effect of the side effect. And it took you months to get there. And then thankfully you had a smart doctor that worked his way backwards or her way backwards to figure that out. Her way. Her way. 
which does not surprise me. Side note. Anyway, <laughs> but she worked her way backwards and you climbed out of that hole. But how many people are out there right now every day feeling like this, dealing with these symptoms? And I actually don't know if you're a mom, but I'm a mom. And as a mom and you're chronically fatigued and you're doing this and you just write it off as a, well, I'm a mom, I'm a runner. Of course I'm tired. No, you should not. If all things are good, I have three kids. I run all the time. I lift, I get up at 4 a.m. I'm not tired. I'm good. Because if all things are aligned, you should not feel that way. If you feel that way, there's a problem. Let's find it. We have to dig. Let's find it. So let's start with a hormone that I talk about a lot, and that's cortisol. Yes. Cortisol can be friend or foe. Tell us all about cortisol. I love cortisol and I hate cortisol. Like you just said, like we need cortisol. Cortisol is so important. Cortisol is one of our stress hormones and think of cortisol as like the slow and low guy. Like we want cortisol there, but cortisol shouldn't be like in your face, right? Like the immediate fight or flight response, that's your epinephrine. That's your adrenaline. That's like, you know, you're driving down the road and somebody almost T-bones you and you get that jittery feeling like that's fight or flight. Like the tiger's coming. We better do something. That guy comes and then that guy goes. Cortisol is always kind of running low and cortisol has this beautiful curve that it's supposed to in the morning be your sort of disruptor of sleep. Like we are now up. Cortisol is that thing that kind of gives you the switch from I'm asleep and I'm at rest and we're, you know, chill to, okay, it's time to be alert and be up and go about our day. And then cortisol supposed, is supposed to gradually decline throughout the day and come back to a nice, even low level at bedtime, repeat the process in the morning. What happens when we're chronically underfueled, your body is chronically stressed. And there's many things that cause that. It's the sheer lack of food, which, you know, if you think back to Pavlov's hierarchy of needs, food is pretty much at the bottom of that. If we're not nourished, nothing else matters, right? So if, if you're chronically out of food or underfueled, which purposeful restriction is, for whatever reason you're restricting, purposeful or otherwise, restriction is lack of food. It is a type of starvation intentional and slow, but it is still a type of starvation. It raises your cortisol, which temporarily is okay, but it raises your cortisol in response because your body's on high alert. Your body's having to function without adequate energy. Cortisol kind of takes over for that. There's side effects though, and this is what no one thinks about. When cortisol is chronically elevated, the first thing you're gonna have is insulin resistance. When cortisol goes up, insulin sensitivity goes down. So now you're actually less capable of processing the food that you do have. So for folks that purposely go into a calorie restriction in order to lose weight, you're kind of, it's kind of going to backfire because now you're less sensitive to insulin, less able to process the food that you are eating. So you're screwing with your metabolism instead of making it better. When that's happening, your thyroid is also going to get deregulated because the two kind of work in, you know, in opposition. So when cortisol is chronically high, your thyroid function is going to go down while your thyroid determines the level of your metabolism. So if your goal is to become a stronger, faster, better, even leaner athlete, and if you live in my world, that's never our goal because weight is always a side effect. That's my, I say that all the time. Weight is a side effect. We don't focus there. But even if that is your goal, having a slower thyroid is not going to get you there, right? So whatever it is, the underfueling and restricting is going to put your cortisol in a position to where you're at a chronic level of stress, which causes chronic deregulation of a whole bunch of other things. And it's not where you want it to go with it. So the normal cortisol that would be there to get you kickstarted in the morning and get you through your day and then settle things back down is now causing havoc on all the other systems and you're worse off than you were before. So we don't want it chronically elevated is the bottom line.
It is a brand new year, you have brand new goals, and you're probably thinking, baby, the future's so bright, I've gotta wear shades. Well, you'd better make those shades gooder shades. Gooder sunglasses, my personal favorite sunglasses for running and running errands. I do, I wear them all the time. If you are thinking your wardrobe in 2022 needs an upgrade, then you need to grab yourself a pair of gooder sunglasses. Polarized, no slip, no bounced, super affordable, starting at only $25, and that's before your 15% off with code RUNEXP. You can save 15% on your next order at gooder.com using code RUNEXP. That's code R-U-N-E-X-P at gooder.com, G-O-O-D-R.com. Look good, run gooder. One of the questions I get in response to educating people about the importance of fueling pre-run. Talk about getting that pre-run snack in. We're talking about just a small amount of food. And they say, I don't understand how eating a graham cracker is supposed to fuel my run. Like that's such a small amount of food. What possible difference could that make? And it's not about quote unquote fueling your run. It's about basically telling your body to chillax. We have enough food. It's okay to calm down. Yes, that's exactly that's exactly it. And I'm a four a.m. runner, so I get that. I'm not going to get up at three thirty to make myself, you know, a breakfast. So that like it's not happening. I roll out of bed at four. I get my shoes on by four oh seven if it's a good day, and then sometime by four fifteen I'm out the door. Right? I eat Cliff Blocks. That's my favorite, but I eat those like on my way out the door. Thirty grams of carbs. That's all we're after. The point is to interrupt the fast. So fasting is the big thing right now. Everyone's into intermittent. Fa- you don't need to intermittently fast because you do it every night. It's called sleep. Your body's supposed to fast while you're sleeping, or it has to because you choke to death otherwise. And your body's really good at regulating your blood sugar while you are sleeping because it's using what it has stored. And I don't know how much of this you've gone over with your listeners, but what is stored in blood sugar is what your body accesses while you're asleep. So you don't die while you're asleep because the body's really good at keeping things copacetic. In the morning, the goal is not to continue tapping into your reserves. That's going to cause your stress response to go up because in the morning, your cortisol rises, your cortisol, you're up, your cortisol has to rise in order to tell your body it's go time. We are up. It's, you know, we're facing the day. We're facing the day without food. This is no good. Cortisol is up because you are stressed out because your body's saying there is no food. We haven't had food in 10, 12 hours. And now you're asking me to add activity on top of that? No. So that simple carbohydrate snack of the 30 grams or whatever is enough for your body, like you just said, to go, oh, we can stop tapping into those reserves. We have food right here. We can replenish the reserves later. We're good to go right now. Everything is easy. That's it. Like you're not going to fuel a 12 mile run on 30 grams of carbs, but that's another conversation because we would fuel during that run. But it's just that immediate pre-run just to tell your body, we are okay. You're good to go. That's it. That's all we're doing. Something you mentioned, you talked about the different new stress hormones and adrenaline and epinephrine and all that. Um, Adrenal fatigue. Is adrenal fatigue real? Such a loaded question. Um, The literature will tell you adrenal, like the medical literature will vehemently deny adrenal fatigue as a diagnosis. It does not exist as a diagnosis. Here's what I'll tell you from my practice and what I know and what I see. Chronic adrenal stress 100% happens. And the fallout that we see, and we do this with testing, we do Dutch testing, it's a hormone test, it's a dried urine and saliva hormone test that I do in my practice. We will see chronically high levels of cortisol. We will also very often see, and this to me is the adrenal fatigue in quotes, right? If this 
were a diagnosis, we will see the fallout of that having happened for a long time, where I see cortisone, the metabolized version of cortisol, really high, but your active cortisol is really low. Either way, it's going to make you feel like garbage. You will have no energy during the day. And it happens because your body has been overproducing this cortisol for so long that it's now moved into shutting down all the excess cortisol because it's like it can't operate at this level forever. So we got to shut some stuff down. So now you've reached the state where your adrenals have hyperproduced in order to make up for the lack of energy availability and the lack of, like you said earlier, chill. <laughs> and your, your adrenals have had to keep you going. So the term will forever be argued, hopefully not forever, but for now is argued in the medical literature that it's not a real diagnosis, but it is a very real feeling. It is a very real state of being. And we see also overproduction of DHEA, which is an androgen that we all have that's normal, but we see in chronic elevated stress, we see overproduction of this androgen, we see overproduction of cortisol, both are produced by the adrenals. So I'll let you draw your own conclusion as to whether the adrenals at any point become chronically fatigued. Can we talk about sex hormones yes. and the relationship that they have with performance athletics? And if you exercise on purpose, you are an athlete. I don't care yep. if you're running an hour a week or 20 hours a week. This is real. This is like a real problem that irregular periods, absence of periods is, again, we talk about the end of the line. Oh my God, we're in crisis mode. It is never normal to lose your period or have it become irregular, like for any reason, but especially for athletes. Correct. And I think somehow for a long time, it was sort of looked at as a badge of honor. Like I am so well-trained that I no longer get a period. No, it's terrifying. It's not a good thing. The only reason that you should not have a period if you're an otherwise normal individual pre-menopause is pregnancy. That's it. That should be the only reason that your body would naturally stop a period. And again, I've had children, even that process, once it stops, once the child has been born and you're done nursing that child, that period should return very naturally, very normally. And I ran through all of my pregnancies. It should be a normal process. The fallout of it goes way beyond, oh, I can't currently have a baby. And I think the problem is we see so many young athletes that this is not even on their brain. They think just reproduction, like, oh, I don't want to have a baby. Who cares? That's not the part that we're currently worried about. Your body's shutting it down because your body's saying, we can't sustain you, let alone another life inside of you. So this is not happening right now. But your sex hormones are responsible for more than just producing future humans. Your sex hormones, especially in females, are vital for laying down bone mass. You don't want to have osteoporosis at 47 because from 20 to 30, you didn't have a period because you didn't eat enough because you're a runner, right? And also your ovaries communicate with your thyroid, which communicates with your adrenal. It's all connected. So the second we have these things happening, by the time we get to the sex hormones not functioning normally, and in men, that will be, you know, not having erections like they would normally have. And just sex drive is gone. It's actually one of the things that we ask our one-on-one -on -one clients. We do, you know, before every session, we kind of do a check-in of systems. It's one of the topics we ask every single time, where was your sex drive this week? Because if it's chronically zero, your body has shut down a function. And this is an outward way that we can kind of you know, measure it for lack of a better word, but it has shut down a function that affects so many other processes in your body. It's not just about you can't currently produce a baby. And even that should concern you because whether you want babies or not, a function of your body is not currently working. That's always a red flag. That is never normal. Between with cortisol and this conversation about sex hormones, um, there seem to be again, bone health implications to this. I know the chronically elevated cortisol also impacts bone health. Like I, I don't, I, I don't 
sometimes hate coming at things from like a fear-based perspective, but like, if nothing else, we runners should want our bones to be as strong as possible. Like it is a high impact sport. If you are prone to breaking your bones and chronic bone stress injuries are a a huge red flag Mm -hmm. for me as a coach, like that's a, like that's going to take you out of the sport. That's going to sideline you potentially forever, depending on the severity of the injury. Yeah. And it's interesting that that's sometimes I think for runners, we have to hear those things, right? Because there's always the meme of the doctor said not to run for six weeks. And we're like, I should just do an easy run this weekend is what you said, right? Like, we just don't want to hear these things. The reality is if you're having stress fractures, let's, let's back up the boat for just a second. I think you and I will agree here. There's technically not, not no such thing as overtraining, right? Like your body in theory can do all the work you're asking it to do. As long as that work is properly supported that's the gap. The gap usually is the work is not properly supported. Either you're starting the work from a state in which your body is not adapted to do the work, or you're starting the work and you're not giving it enough resources and enough rest and enough whatever it needs to recover from the work. So technically overtraining is not a thing. But so regardless of whether you think you're overtraining or not, if you're running and there's chronic stress fractures happening, or even one stress fracture, it is your body saying, I am missing resources to do the work that you're asking me to do. So we need to take a giant step back and go, where are the resources not being given or where do we think they're given, but they're not being received? Because that's another piece to it, right? Sometimes we dig ourselves into that hole. Like you were on keto for a long time, right? Your gut microbiome after that, I guarantee if we had done a stool test right after, your microbiome was shot. So you can then go back and start eating all the great things. It's gonna take time for that microbiome to be back in place in order to digest, absorb, and process the things that you need, right? So you see bone implications, seven steps back, where was the gap and how far do we need to dig to fill it? Because it's not just get in a boot for six weeks and don't run. There's a whole bunch of work we got to do. Sleep seems like it's going to be really important for hormonal health. And I want to talk about sleep next because try convincing people they need to sleep enough is like, you think I asked them to burn their own house down sometimes, it's, but it's so important. Yeah, especially for us runners, right? Like we, again, I run four o'clock in the morning. So people are like, oh, I guess you must not sleep. No, I'm in bed by like 8.45 or nine <laughs> because otherwise I couldn't get up at four o'clock. And I take that back. I could get up at four o'clock. I have been there. I have done that. I personally had massive hormonal issues as a result. And this was just like four, four or five years ago, because I went through a period in my life where things were really busy and the kids were very needy and love kids, but they get very needy at some points. And it was just a very stressful time. And I wasn't going to give up my morning workouts because it was the thing that kept me sane. So the first thing that went was sleep. I was sleeping five hours, five hours and 15 minutes some nights. I did that for a year. Well, guess what? And I knew better, but I still did it because sometimes we just do the thing that we know isn't going to work. And I had massive repercussions. When you do not sleep, what I was saying a minute ago with, you know, your body can technically do almost anything that you ask it to do unless you don't let it recover. And the recovery happens during sleep. The hormone regulation happens during sleep. That normal circadian rhythm response from cortisol that I was talking about earlier, that happens during sleep. My cortisol response was opposite when I finally did all the testing and was like, oh, I've really messed this up. I got to climb out of this. It was opposite. My cortisol was through the roof at night, which meant whatever sleep I was also getting was not restorative because I wasn't in a relaxed state. I was in a chronically stressed state. And then I was that person on the couch every afternoon at 2.30, where unless there were three cups of coffee present, I wasn't going to make it till bedtime, right? Sleep 
is everything. Seven to nine hours, and you know where you fall in that. I'm a person that functions perfectly fine on seven hours. Anything less than that, it gets dicey. But I have a friend where it's if it's not nine hours, don't talk to her because it's just not going to work well, right? You have to give your body the opportunity to rest, and it can do almost anything you ask it to do. But you got to feed it well, and you got to let it rest. People underestimate the general health. They think my body's just automatically going to grow. It's just automatically going to do its thing. It's not. And I can give you a perfect anecdotal example of this. My oldest daughter has something called um, pancreatic. uh, She basically has, it's it's called exocrine pancreatic insufficiency. Basically, her pancreas doesn't make adequate digestive enzymes. Took years to figure this out. Ironically, I found it on a stool test when doctors could not find it. Um, in, In response to that, her body didn't make enough growth hormone. Her body didn't make enough of the hormones to have normal development happen. She was always very tiny. She's now 13 and going through puberty and it's phenomenal. And I've never been so excited to have a hormonal teenager because it wasn't happening because there was inadequate resources. In her case, it was genetic and a malfunction. But when we do that intentionally, like when I was a teenage athlete or teenage athletes runners that you work with or that I work with, and it's done intentionally, we are disrupting the normal flow and development of growth hormone, of testosterone production, of estrogen production, all of these things that should happen that aren't always pleasant to go through. Puberty is not pleasant to go through, let's not kid ourselves, but it is such a vital and necessary process which is, I think, where for me as a clinician and for you as a coach, I'm sure the same, my frustration is, is so high when I see coaches then not support that process and get scared of that process. A teenage athlete is going to put on 40, 50 pounds in their high school career. They're supposed to, right? And it's not all going to be muscle mass. A lot of it's going to be fat mass. A grown female has a lot more fat mass than my nine-year-old daughter. We're supposed to. I'm supposed to be able to potentially carry life, right? Like it's just how we function. So instead of being scared of the process, instead of trying to fight the process and to kind of punish our bodies into submission of whatever we think we're trying to submit them to, what if we just flip the script on that and we reframe it and we support the process and instead go, what's the purpose of these hormones? How can I use them to my advantage? How can I support the crap out of them? So my body can run, you know, a BQ or so that my body can do that hundred miler I want to do and never have negative repercussions. We have that choice. I think it's an important point to discuss with developing athletes. I don't know how many high school and college runners listen to this show, but going through puberty, especially for female athletes, you're probably going to slow down but that doesn't mean you're going to slow down forever. How important is your long-term development for you? How important are you really good at, how seriously are you going to take your health? Because I get, I get DMS from a a variety of people, all types of runners. And I have gotten enough DMS from late adolescent runners. And they say, I'm slower this year than I was last year. And I'm trying to lose weight and and nothing's working. Well, you get with those DMS and I'm sure you get a lot of messages too, where it's like, Oh my gosh, no, please don't, you're hurting yourself, right? We have to set the expectation for developing athletes that as your body grows and changes, that is a natural part of what it is to be a human. And if your times temporarily slow down during this multi-year process, that's expected and there's nothing wrong with that. Expected and a good thing, right? Because it's your body saying, I'm diverting energy to these other things that are vital for our long-term health and development. Because we don't just live, you know, for the four years that we're high school track runners or cross-country runners. Hopefully you have a hundred-year lifespan. Let's just for average's sake go with, or for math's sake, let's go with a hundred-year lifespan. 
you want to still be able to run or go for a walk or whatever when you're in your 70s without needing a new hip, without worrying about, you know, like your cortisol can't handle it and you're going to go into cardiac arrest at some point. Like we want to make sure that all the effort that's being put forth in that time is put to good use. And like you said, it's temporary. It's temporary while your body goes through this growth spurt. It's like, again, I'm using pregnancy as an example, just because this is such an easy thing for people to assimilate with hormones. A pregnant person is not going to have the same athletic output as a non-pregnant person. It's highly unlikely because the body's diverting energy elsewhere. Why would somebody going through the largest hormonal change we have in our lifetime, AKA puberty, expect to perform better than they did before or than they will after? We just have to remember it's a flux in the mid in the middle of it while the hormones are doing what they're going to do. And it's a super uncomfortable phase. We've all been there. Like, let that be, you know, the thing that calms you in the process. We've all been there. There is another side to it. <laughs> just get through it and support your body. Side note on what you just said, weight loss. And when you have listeners, you know, in that age group, weight loss during puberty is always a no. It's always a no. Weight maintenance, weight you know, support growing into the weight that may have had a temporary upshoot in body fat. Yes. Weight loss, always a no, because you will always sacrifice growing tissue. You will always sacrifice performance potential. You will always sacrifice bone potential. You have a very finite window in your time, in your, in your lifetime where you can lay down the maximum bone density that you'll ever have. This is not the time to restrict this is not the time to try to make your body smaller. This is the time to support your body, make it the strongest, most efficient engine you can make it. Smaller is not the goal. Let's go back and talk about insulin because I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated by insulin. And you mentioned it in conjunction with cortisol. And I bring this up in the context of fueling because we talk about educating people around the importance of fueling. And I get runners that say, well, it, that won't taking a gel like it's pure sugar. Won't that spike my blood sugar? I don't want my insulin to be in people who do not have diabetes. There's a lot of misinformation about this whole just like scenario I've just described here. So tell us like what it is, tell us what insulin does and why we should not be afraid of insulin. Yeah, absolutely. Don't be afraid of insulin. Without insulin, we would literally all die because we would have no access to the food that we eat. I had a professor in undergrad who explained it to me in the best possible analogy that I will ever be able to explain it. So it's one I'm going to use. If you think of a soccer ball and a soccer ball has, you know, white pieces and black pieces around that soccer ball, the soccer ball is your cell, every cell in your body. The energy that you eat has to make its way into the cell. If it's in your blood, it is useless. It has to get into that cell. So think of every one of those black spots on a soccer ball as a lock that opens the door to get the energy into the cell. The only way that lock opens is with the key. The key is insulin. Insulin allows that food that you eat, once it's digested and absorbed and goes as sugar into your blood to actually enter the cell. In the cell, it is used. It goes into your mitochondria. Your mitochondria does a whole bunch of fancy things that I had to memorize in college that please do not ask me to name the Krebs cycle stages because I will not. But through that process, we create something called ATP, which is the energy that we actually use. Insulin is a vital, vital component in that. So insulin spiking is not a bad thing necessarily. Insulin spiking becomes a bad thing in context because we think of diabetics. Well, when your body metabolically doesn't function properly, then yes, that's a problem because there's no return of that spike. That's what happens in diabetes. For the rest of us that have normal metabolic function, that spike is simply a signal to your cells that, hey, we got lots of resources here. Would you like them? And your cells go, yes, please bring it on. Let's create energy. Let's do stuff. This is why it's so vital to do this while you're exercising. 
because at that moment, your body is as receptive as it's ever going to be to direct energy influx because you're currently moving and your muscles need that energy. So you want insulin to send that message to your cells while you're moving. So your cells open up the locks and your cells get the energy and you are good to go. So insulin is not a negative. Insulin is the thing that gives you access to the food you need to do the work that you're asking your body to produce. And I'll address one of the main, I don't want to call it, I guess hooks of when people are seduced by a low carb diet or a keto diet is that, oh, if you never eat carbohydrate, it never, your insulin never raises. And that somehow is a good thing because insulin is inflammatory and sugar is inflammatory and we want to avoid inflammation. And it's so tough when dealing with this kind of, um, this, these kinds of topics, because often there is some truth in there, like kind of debatable, like, well, technically some of these statements can be true in certain situations, but when you put them all together and you're like, that's does wait, what? <laughs> and that's kind of the, the, if this is recorded on video later, I don't know how you share your podcast with video or just audio, but my face just now was like, well, like, I'm not sure where to attack that first, because <laughs> there are seven pieces of that, that I want to take apart. First, I'm going to tackle inflammation real quick. Inflammation is also not necessarily a bad thing, right? Inflammation is your body's response to a stimulus, a stressor to work, right? Like when you run, it's inflammation, but we all know running's fantastic for us. Running's not a negative inflammation. It only becomes negative if we don't have the resources and the rest to afterwards heal ourselves. When you go lift something, the way your muscles get bigger is by tearing down muscle tissue. That's massive inflammation. We're literally breaking down the muscle in order to build more. So from that perspective, you know, inflammation is not a negative. Insulin also by itself is not inflammatory. Insulin literally is the hormone that gives us access to the food that we need in ourselves to do work. It becomes inflammatory, again, if we have metabolic dysfunction and the blood sugar cannot return to normal. That's the issue. That only happens if we're pre-diabetic or diabetic, type 1, type 2, doesn't matter. That's when that happens. We deal with that in specific dietary intake and exercise, and we scale around that. For the rest of us, the low carbohydrate diet does not result in no insulin production because guess what? Your body still functions on carbohydrate. None of us are truly ever, even if you're eating a ketogenic diet, you're never in true ketosis because that will put you in the hospital. <laughs> you're not in true ketosis. You are eating an extremely low carbohydrate diet, which makes which means you're making your body's metabolic process more difficult because it still has to somehow extract carbohydrate to fuel your life. Your brain alone for optimal function per day needs 130 grams of carbohydrate. That is just your brain. That's just your brain for thinking about your ketogenic diet. It needs 130 grams of carbohydrate a day. We're not even doing anything else. So we can't assume that by eating a low carbohydrate diet, we're, we're first of all negating an entire hormone that isn't a bad hormone to begin with. No hormones are bad, they're all there for a purpose. But you're not doing your body any favors because you're making it work harder and you're making it circumvent processes that are there to give you easy resolutions and easy access to things. And usually I think the reason that most people, if they're honest, start a ketogenic diet is for weight loss. It's because they think it will make their body a smaller body, which again is the wrong goal because it's attacking that iceberg from the top down. A smaller body does not mean a healthier body. The initial weight loss on a ketogenic diet is water weight because every gram of carbohydrate that your body stores holds onto water. Water has weight. You have now successfully dehydrated yourself. Congratulations. The number on the scale went down. Your body composition did not change. It got worse, if anything. 
you're not actually achieving the things that you're looking to achieve and you're making the metabolic existence of your body more difficult. There's truly from an athletic perspective for a runner, absolutely zero benefit to living a ketogenic lifestyle. The thing that really got me when I first started like digging in and, and you know, reading more about the endurance side of this is that what you mentioned, your body has a way of, of making carbohydrate, of making glucose from the things that you eat. Gluconeogenesis happens in your liver, right? Mm-hmm. It's protein, takes protein or other substrates and turns it into glucose. Like, cause when I, when I first started learning about sports nutrition and all this stuff and about glycogen storage, and I was thinking, well, my muscles have to have glycogen stored in them and the glycogen has to come from somewhere. But if I'm eating 20 carbs a day, where does the glycogen come from? Like, it doesn't just appear, it's your body making it. Like if my body genuinely did not need or require glycogen on any level, I would not, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have glycogen stores. Our body would evolve, have evolved to not have them. And so the fact that my body was taking it upon itself to go through this very messy and resource intensive process to create glycogen and put it in the glycogen, you know, glucose, put it in the glycogen store so that I could use it on my runs. I was thinking, well, hold on a minute here. This might actually be something that I need, no matter how morally superior I feel that I can run 18 miles on water and salt. (laughs) And I love how you just said that because aren't we just like that as runners though? We're like, look how great I am, how much I can do with so little resources. Like, I don't know who the first person was to like say we get a badge for that, but it's a horrible badge. I don't want that badge. And by the way, there is no badge. Like all you're doing is making your life really, really freaking hard. But that's exactly it. Like your body will always, always create glucose from something. Your brain requires glucose. So why are we making it so damn hard on it? Why don't we just give it what it needs, right? I have this conversation with my runners all the time because inevitably we end up with the, what about fat adapted training? No, and this is, I say this so often and I mean absolutely no harm to anybody, but listen, you are not more special than the other 8 billion people on this planet. Metabolically, we all function the same. Your body does work on carbohydrates. You start using some fat somewhere around the two and a half to three hour mark of endurance. But even then the majority of your work is still carbohydrate based. And also the average runner isn't daily running two and a half to three hours, right? That's marathon times. That's like that we're doing true distance. You're not doing that on your training runs. So on your average runs, you're not using fat. It is true, the more efficient you become, the more metabolically fit you become, the faster your body can utilize some fat storage for that. But even that fat storage, and this is the kicker to the whole thing, requires carbohydrate in the Krebs cycle in order to extract energy from the fat. So you're literally reducing every resource you have and your body is so freaking amazing that it still somehow manages to go on. But if you then think about if I'm this good without the resources I need, imagine how amazing you will be and how little the risk of hormonal impact or bone loss or stress fractures or whatever will be if you just went and gave your body the carbohydrates it needed to do the work. Insulin, not your enemy. And I think the huge caveat to this, like you said, is if you're in a metabolically unhealthy state, that is, there is dysfunction going on. But for a normally functioning, healthy person, this is not something we need to be afraid of. We just have to understand what is actually happening in our bodies. Correct. hundred percent. All right. So we talked about cortisol, talked about adrenaline just a little bit. We talked about human growth hormone, uh, sex hormones, we talked about insulin. insulin. What are the other hormone dysfunctions or major players that runners should be aware of? I'm going to say the last one that I would address in that list would be the thyroid. 
and nobody worries about their thyroid ever, right? Thyroid issues are, happens to old people, happens to people who don't need iodine or happens to people who have thyroid cancer. All of us should be paying attention to our thyroid all the time. And I will tell you, when you go to your doctor, most females at least, when you go to your OBGYN once a year, they're gonna check your TSH, your thyroid stimulating hormone. And they're gonna look at one number and they're gonna determine the entire fate of your thyroid based on one number and it's not adequate. Um, we have to look at thyroid and we have to dig deep and the thyroid is complicated and there are many hormones involved in the thyroid and some of those hormones are made in your gut. So if we do not have adequate, this is why it all ties together. This is why in our practice, we look at the whole picture. If your gut is not healthy, your thyroid is going to be affected. If your thyroid is not healthy, your adrenals are going to go into overdrive because cortisol is going to pick up some of that job. Your insulin's not going to work right. It is this this cycle, this cascade that we keep going in and out of, but you need to make sure your thyroid is supported. What I see a lot is hypothyroid, like secondary, it's, it's called functional hypothyroidism, essentially. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with the thyroid. The thyroid is undernourished. The thyroid does not have enough resources. The thyroid's having to function with less, which is the underlying theme here, right? We're functioning with less. So it becomes sluggish for lack of a better word. This also will not be a medical term. If you look it up, it's not going to say you have a sluggish thyroid, but that's essentially what's happening, right? Your thyroid hormones are underproducing. So your stimulating hormone is not where it should be. Your active thyroid hormone is not where it should be. Your inactive thyroid hormone is probably higher than it should be because it's not being converted into that active hormone. Um, the other other thing to look for, and this is a cascade that unfortunately happens often if we're predisposed and then we have some gut dysfunction in this process and then we're undernourished in general and affecting hormones, we end up triggering an autoimmune cascade. That doesn't happen to everybody, but that's something that we need to think about. And that autoimmune cascade, we also identify by looking at the thyroid sort of in a comprehensive matter. And we run a complete comprehensive thyroid panel, not just that TSH. We figure out what's going on with your antibodies. We figure out, have we restricted to the point where the gut has been affected, affected to the point where now we have this overgrowth, we have lack of nutrients, and we have flipped a predisposition switch to an autoimmune condition. And now we're dealing with a whole other bag of worms that we didn't, can of worms that we didn't need to deal with had we just nourished, supported, instead of fought the body in the process. Talk a little bit more about the the gut health because you mentioned that I think on every topic that we've hit so far about you know gut the microbiome and our gut health and you, you know why is that so important I mean obviously there's a lot more to or we think like oh if my stomach's fine if I can tolerate my gels or maybe you can't tolerate your gels or maybe you're hitting a bathroom every single time but it's more than that gut health is more than just what happens to your stomach when you run. Yes. And for runners, that's obviously the first one, right? Like we all know the runners poops or like everybody hopes they can go poop before they go run a race, right? Like that's important. Obviously the movement itself is going to stimulate a bowel movement. And that's what most people are, you know, experiencing, but the gut is the epicenter of everything. If you think of the gut, it was always explained to me in undergrad of like your intestines are the outside of your body. They're inside your body, but they're the outside of the body. They are the gatekeeper of everything because everything that you consume goes through the intestine, right? Like everything, water, everything goes through the intestine. So it is your, it's, it's your bouncers that double check that everything that gets let into the club, that is your bloodstream is first checked and dealt with and put in a position to where we can accept it. The gut microbiome, you have something like, I think it's like seven pounds or something of bacteria that live in our gut that, you know, just digest our food. And if that's out of whack, we don't have the right bacteria to make some of our nutrients, B vitamins in particular, are produced in our gut by um, bacteria. And you end up having overgrowth of other bacteria. You may or may not have gut symptoms. Some people never have a singular symptom outward. 
but inward, there's a bunch of stuff. So like I just said, some of your thyroid hormones are produced in the gut, right? Cholesterol has to be pushed out through the gut. Your estrogen is actually detoxed through the gut. So if we have overgrowth of bacteria, of gram-negative bacteria that shouldn't be there to the degree in which it's there, which usually happens because the good bacteria can't thrive. So now the other bacteria takes over. Our estrogen does not get detoxed through stool like it should. Now we're recycling estrogen. We're recycling something that should have been exited and now your estrogen levels are off. Everything comes back to the gut. The gut is the epicenter of where, where regulation starts and it then has this fallout effect on all the other things. Are there tests you can get done for that? I'm just curious. Yep, there are many. The test that we run is the GI MAP test by Diagnostic Solutions. Um, there are several out there. This one's my favorite. It's a DNA-based test. So whatever we find in there is actually in you because we just found the DNA for it. Um, we check multiple things on that test. We'll check healthy microbiome. We check overgrowth bacteria. We also get a glimpse at digestive health. So what's going on with those inflammatory markers? We talked about inflammation earlier. I get a lot of questions about gluten from people. Gluten is not inherently bad. You do not need to avoid gluten unless we have very clear medical indications that gluten is an issue. We can tell some of that on a stool test, not just celiac disease, but we can tell, is there currently an issue with your gut integrity that would make us say, let's temporarily remove this particular protein because it will pass the barrier that it shouldn't pass. It's not the protein that's the issue. It's your gut that's the issue. So it tells us that. It also tells us about pathogens and you will be so surprised at how often I find pathogens with people because everyone freaks out when I say that and they're like, we don't live in you know an underdeveloped country. Why pathogens happen all the time? Yes, they get passed from stool to mouth. That's how that happens. It's whether it's an animal that pooped in, you know, a lettuce that you ended up eating and you cleaned it and here we are, or hand contact from other humans. It just happens. The problem is once you have pathogens, everything else in your gut is affected. Uh, the most common one I see is actually H. pylori, which is one that sits in the stomach and your body ends up changing your stomach acid as a result of H. pylori, which affects everything downstream. These are the things that we dig into when somebody says, you know, I can't tolerate food or I'm really bloated or I'm gassy or like nothing seems to sit well with me. I can't run. I can't eat while I run. There's a reason. It's, it, there's a reason. We, get, we just got to find the reason and the reason's usually in the gut. So my next question is probably going to be like, okay, do we have another hour to talk about this? <laughs> but um, all of this, all of this, obviously it's all connected, right? And it, for people who are wondering you know, how do I make sure my hormones are healthy? What can I do to make sure that I am not in hormone dysfunction? There's got to be some like major players in, okay, these are the key things you really need to be focused on. And then if things still don't feel right, it's time to seek some more answers. Yes. I would say the number one thing, the number one thing you could do right now to support your hormones is to eat enough food. <laughs> and that may mean the weight at which you think you want to be is not the weight at which your body functions at its best. And that's a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow. I'm not saying everyone needs to gain 20 pounds. I will tell you though, and I will repeat this until the day I die, weight is a side effect. So we have to figure out where is our body the happiest, healthiest, supported engine make that engine as efficient as you can and the engine will regulate the weight that's not even a concern at that point so step one eat enough food step two do not skimp on carbohydrates you are a runner if you're listening to this podcast chances are you're a runner or you just think elizabeth is incredibly cool and you listen just because you want to but you're probably a runner you have to eat carbohydrates some of my ultra endurance folks at you know at peak training we're up to 70 percent of intake from carbohydrates it doesn't mean we don't focus on the other things we still need protein we still need fats but you have to get over the fear of carbohydrates and then you have to rest. 
you have to rest, you have to rest. And when you think you've rested enough, you probably should rest a little bit more. And the other one I'm going to throw into that's a big one for um, hormone support for me is mineral, good mineral support. That means electrolytes on your runs, but that means in general, good mineral intake, which comes from a lot of fruits and veggies, a lot of carbohydrates to support adrenal function, to support normal hormone production, to support the enzymes that are in charge of making sure your insulin works, that are in charge of making sure stuff is, you know, transferred the way it should in your prep cycle. So support minerals, you can do that with a standard electrolyte while you're running. You can do that with good balanced intake during the day. Um, those would be the big ones. The side effect of that will also be you're taking care of the gut because you're giving it plenty of food to do the work it needs to do. That's a big ask for a lot of people though, to ask them to believe that their healthiest body might be at a body that's a different size or shape than the body they currently have or have pursued for their entire life. Because let's be honest, uh, for most people out there, if you have body composition goals, how long have you been chasing them? And have you ever gotten there? <laughs> Honestly. And if you've ever gotten there, I'm going to follow that up with how long were you able to stay there without, you know, massive restriction, without constantly working at it. Your body's happiest weight is the weight at which you don't have to try to stay. It just stays there. That's your body's happiest weight. Now, if we know that your intake is severely, you know, skewed in one direction or the other, if there's chronic restriction or the opposite, there's regular episodes of binging. There's regular, I can't control myself around Oreos. Oh, I don't keep those things in the house because I can't control myself. We have issues that go beyond body composition. These are issues of imbalance. These are issues of, we may have a blood sugar control issue. You're constantly craving things because your gut may not be healthy, right? These are things where we look at hormones, gut, micronutrients, overall support, because there's always a reason. It's not your lack of willpower. You're not a horrible person who doesn't have enough willpower. It's not how the body works. If you're constantly craving things, it's because we're not balanced somewhere. Let's figure out the balance and the rest of it just poof goes away. Easy, no. Quick, no. Possible, 100%. So you've already mentioned, obviously, our, our favorite macronutrient, which is carbohydrate. Have you, If you had to pick a really underrated micronutrient. You said nobody's really talking about this, but this is actually way more important than you think it is. What would that be? Or if there are a couple? Yeah, that's such a hard one. Um, I'm going to say two, actually. I'm going to lump the B vitamins together in general because everyone worries about, you know, B12. I'm low on B12. If you need enough, if you eat enough animal sources at all, you're fine on B. It's the B vitamins in general because they're, they're the worker bees and they're so undervalued. Everybody talks about, you know, vitamins A, D, all of the, like, yes, you probably need a ton more of those also. The B vitamins to me, they drive your enzyme production. They, they are involved in the thyroid. They are involved in your, you know, in your sex hormones. They are involved in pretty much everything. Without them, you cannot convert energy into ATP. So you gotta have your B vitamins down. I'm also going to say zinc. Zinc is undervalued, but what I don't want you to do is to take an individual zinc supplement. I don't want anyone to take individual supplements of any sort unless they have worked with a professional who has done a whole lot of work. And I don't mean your doctor has run a vitamin D panel. That's important. We need a much bigger picture. You need to work with a dietitian, not with your doctor for micronutrients, a registered dietitian. Um, so don't take zinc on its own, specifically zinc, but zinc is important. Thyroid again, it's important for all of your hormones since we're on that subject. It's important for all of your hormones, but it also drives a ton of your um, of your other enzymatic reactions. So I will pick zinc and I'm going to throw in um, magnesium as the last one, just because magnesium is one of our vital trace minerals that a lot of folks are short on, specifically for runners. 
if you're dealing with cramping, everyone's always like, it's so it's probably a little bit of sodium, but chances are it's probably a lot of magnesium. Um, magnesium also responsible for about 300 reactions in our body. So most folks tend to be shy on magnesium, but again, do not go and willy nilly just supplement. Everything is in very fine balance in your body. Just because you can buy it at the grocery store or at your local CVS or GNC does not mean it is safe for you to take. Please do not. Please kindly work directly with a dietitian to figure out what you actually need and what the appropriate amounts are and for how long, because it shouldn't be permanent. But also like the stuff that you buy at CVS might, one, not be the most bioavailable form of the thing. And two, it might just be also mostly filler and you just spent $30 on really expensive powder pills. Right. It's not regulated at all. Right. So what we, we do use supplements in our practice when we need to, after we run a bunch of testing and we know what's going on, we use pharmaceutical grade supplements that are third party tested. So we know we're actually getting what we say we're getting. And again, I'm going to harp on this. It's for a finite period of time. We don't stay on supplements just to say, Hey, look at me. I take 17 supplements. No, if all is good, we don't need supplements. We need to figure out the gaps, fix, fix the sieve then you don't need to keep pouring supplements into the sieve, right? Like fix the problem and go from there. Yeah. None of this comes with any sort of magic pill. You know, there's no magic supplements going to fix dysfunctional hormones. It just, it takes time and it takes effort. And it, it's one of those things where, you know, if you're serious about what you're doing as a runner, but if you're serious about just being the best version of yourself, it is worth it mm -hmm. to get to the bottom of what's going on and learning how your body actually functions and what it needs. Yeah. And the thing to remember with that is once you do it right, you're good, right? It's not like one of those, oh, I have to always put forth this much effort. No, there's going to be a recovery period and a healing period and a discovery period of like, where are the gaps? What do we have to do? But then it's just going to be fine. Then it's just going to be, I am now at the state. And that's, again, you, you, if you can't do it on your own, work with somebody to get you there. You want to get to a state where it is just, this is your new reality of being. And it's not hard. Like all these programs that everyone does, the stuff is hard because it's not normal and it's not natural and it goes against what your body wants to do. That's why you constantly have to start over on another weird little thing that you're doing. Um, and I cussed on your show before, so I'm going to cuss right now, but this is always on my Instagram. I, it's, I'm, I'm going to make this a hashtag, hashtag don't do weird shit. Like you just don't have to do weird nutrition stuff. You just really don't. You just have to learn how to do it properly one time, one time. And then it's the easiest thing you will ever do because it's eating. We all intrinsically know how to do it. We have just spent so many years doing it really wrong that now you got to relearn it, but do that right one time and you're good. Yeah. The juice cleanse is not going to fix your problem. Whole 30 won't fix it. 75 hard will probably give you some other problems to deal with. <laughs> you want to mess up your hormones? Go ahead and do 75 hard. Oh my gosh, I can't. I have a lot of thoughts on that and none of them are good. <laughs> you and I could do like five more episodes on other things. Like I could do a whole yes. episode on whole 30 right now. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Kirsten, thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom with us. Every single one of these topics could have been an episode in and of itself. Yeah. Um, and there's always more to learn. And I think the takeaway for any of these conversations is that Look, it can it can get complicated, but there also is some, a simple top line takeaway. So I hope that everybody who listened got to learn something and maybe found some food for thought. And maybe you're also going to find a snack after this episode, since yes. we know how important fueling is. But if people want to learn more about what you're doing and maybe work with you, tell us about what your practice is like and what's coming up for you. Yeah, for sure. First of all, thank you for having me. This has been incredible. And I enjoy talking about this so much. If you can't tell, I'm very passionate about this because I want every runner to not be where you and 
I have been in the past, right? Every runner, every athlete, it doesn't need to be this way. It can be just this beautiful thing where you just eat and it's just amazing. Um, but if somebody does want to find us, the easiest place to find us is on Instagram, your fitness dietitian on Instagram. You can also go to the website. It is just www.yourfitnessdietitian.com. But to work with us, you have multiple options. We do take one-on-one -on -one clients. Obviously, that roster fills up a whole lot quicker than our other programs simply because there's only so much time we have. I do have another dietitian on my team that also does what I do. You can apply directly through the website if you're interested. Also, feel free to DM me on Instagram if anybody has any questions. But we actually have something coming up specifically for runners, and this timing was very coincidental. But we are going to be running a mastermind, and you guys are the first ones to find out. This is not even in the universe yet. You guys are the first to hear this. We're gonna be running a mastermind for female runners specifically. We're calling it the Go Far Mastermind, Far for Female Athlete Revolution, because we want to take folks out of this, everything that you and I just spoke about, out of this whole of, I don't know how to supportively do this while still loving what I do, while still loving my sport, while still living my life and still running a family and doing all these other things. So it's going to be a three-month immersive experience. Where it's, it's going to be a sisterhood and community and all of those beautiful things. We're including some functional testing because that's part of this because we don't want to guess at it. So everyone who enrolls is going to get one functional test. They have the option for a second. They're also going to get some one-on-one -on -one time with me during that, but it's going to be a group program, a supportive community. We're literally going to take the female athlete, the female female runner through this entire mess of how do I support the hormones, the micronutrients? How do I eat without stressing about it? How do I make sure I get enough? It's going to be all the fine-tuned tangible things like you got a Boston goal or whatever your spring marathon goal is. We're going to step you through how to fuel for that, but it's going to be so much bigger. It's going to be that entire experience of let's cohesively together support your running career while making sure your body is in the best shape that it can be to do so. So that's oh, what's that's coming so up. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, about that's it. very exciting. That's all. The, the, everything that Kirsten just talked about is going to be linked in the show notes for this episode, so you can find her and her team, follow her, check out her content, which is awesome, by the way. Um, that sounds like a really that sounds like a really great program. And as a running coach, it's weird for me to think this, but I genuinely do. Running is not easy to figure out, but if if you may not need a coach, you might need a dietitian. Honestly, I see a lot of people and they ask me questions. I'm like, you don't need a coach. Like there are so many great training resources out there. Like if you want to work with me, awesome. I'd love to work with you. But a dietitian actually figuring that out might be the thing that you need. And I say this as like, a, this is my business. I coach athletes, but I cannot speak highly enough about the value of actually figuring out your nutritional needs. It, it's a game changer. I, I love it. Thank you for saying that for our profession in general, because everyone forgets that literally every output that your body does comes down to nutrition. You cannot run if you don't have fuel. Whatever that fuel is, you can't run. You can't heal a bone if you don't have fuel. You can't sit here and, and talk and listen to this podcast if you don't have fuel. So I, I'm a big fan of, I think everyone should have a dietitian for whatever their goal, whether you're an athlete or not. I think everybody has a doctor. Everybody has a hairdresser. Everybody should have a dietitian because none of us know how to eat on our own except the dietitians because we've studied this for a really long time. It's complicated. There's a lot to it. So yeah, I'm a big proponent of that. Everybody should go seek out a dietitian. And in a perfect world, everybody would have a team, right? Everybody would have their coach 100%. and their dietitian yep. and their physical therapist and their, <laughs> right? We great. can only dream. trainer, massage therapist. Can we just all get everybody and do all of that? That'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, Kirsten, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. This is a great conversation. I'm so glad I was here. Thank you for having me. 
I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.